Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath. Uh, I'd like to uh, first thank the, uh, the worship team for our wonderful music and for leading us in worship this morning. And uh, for those of you who are not on the worship team, I want to give you a quick um, hint. So if you log into our Facebook page or find our Facebook page, Bonita Valley Adventist, um, they put a link on there, usually in the middle of the week, um, with the songs that they're going to be doing on Saturday. It's on Spotify, which is sort of a free uh, music listening um, app that you can put on your phone. And so that's what I did this week. And uh, so you could play it at home, you know, while you're doing the laundry or whatever. And then the songs and the words and the, and the, and the music and the lyrics just kind of begins to kind of wash over you. Uh, that way when you come to worship on Sabbath, you can sing along. Um, so I did that this week, and I'm enjoying that. So I encourage you to do the same. This morning, I uh, want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We have been studying about the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. Uh, if you didn't bring one, there's one in the pew in front of you, or you can pull it up on your uh, electronic devices. <clears throat> and we've been reading here and at the beginning of the book of Acts how the kingdom of God is uh, let loose upon the earth. <clears throat> And we studied here in the last couple of weeks that essentially the purpose of Jesus' arrival on earth and his coming down from heaven to be with us was to announce that the kingdom of heaven was uh, about to be unleashed upon the earth. <clears throat> now I want to explain to you uh, essentially what this means. When God first created us, when God created this world back in Genesis, the Bible tells us that he took Adam and Eve and he took the man and woman and he put them in the center of the garden and then he gave him and her dominion over the earth. That means that essentially when God created this earth, he had placed us as caretakers of his creation. God was going to rule over the earth through us. And so we were in charge, you remember in, in Genesis, uh, Adam was in charge of naming the, the animals and to protect and care and have dominion. That's what the Bible says. And essentially what that means is that God had given us uh, autonomy over the earth. And yet his desire was to be in such contact with us that he would be able to always bless us and bless the created world through us. Except that at the very beginning, you remember the story. We talk, we've talked about that not too long ago here. Adam and Eve fell for the lie that essentially things would be better if we ignored God and tried to go around God. And ever since then, the Bible sort of describes that the, that the world has been under the dominion of Satan. He tricked us. We chose him over God. So as we've stewarded the earth, we have stewarded the earth according to Satan's desires. And so God wants to reclaim us and reclaim the earth, his creation. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, which we uh, thought about, we remembered, and we celebrated even a few weeks ago. So that through Jesus' sacrifice, God would again reclaim the earth. The thing is, after Jesus died on the cross and resurrected and declared for once and for all that he had power over sin, that he had power over death, Jesus, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, left. So we read Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm going to read quickly just to catch us up in case you haven't been here uh, the last couple of weeks. This is for Acts 1 verse 1. 
In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, and after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of? All right, you're, I'm going to wake you up. It's a little early, I know. But the kingdom of? God is the kingdom of God. I just got done telling you that essentially ever since creation, this world uh, has not been the kingdom of God. It's been the kingdom of Satan. He's had dominion. He's had his way. He's introduced death, suffering, pain, punishment, everything. That was never God's plan. In fact, in the very Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve suddenly feel shame and guilt. That was not part of God's kingdom. It was not meant to be there. And so essentially Jesus Christ has come to clear it up once and for all that God wants to reconcile claim this kingdom and take it from being a kingdom of Satan to a kingdom of God. And so Jesus says here that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. All right, you're listening. All right, fantastic. Jesus says, God has promised it. God has promised you something, so you need to wait for that gift. We talked about the keys of the kingdom a couple of weeks ago. We refreshed them last week. Essentially, Jesus says, here's the keys. I'm about to give the kingdom over to you. I have come to usher in the kingdom of God. You remember when Jesus began to preach after, the, after his water baptism and when the dove descended upon him? Jesus began to preach a simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means it is near. And upon his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. The price has been paid. The earth has been reclaimed. The kingdom of God is here. So then when he comes back from the dead and he is resurrected and he has all that power, Jesus does not unleash that power upon the earth. He, in fact, removes himself from the scene. The Bible tells us here that he says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they met together and they asked him, remember we talked about this last week, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus says, I'm not interested in earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of the U.S., the kingdom of, I don't care about any of those things. I'm here about the kingdom of God. And he said, it's not for you to know these things. God has his own timing. He's going to do what he does. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive what? Power. Have you ever wanted power? You have, right? Power to change your circumstances. Power to make people change. Yeah, everybody wants that one. I know it. I see it in your eyes. You look at somebody, you're like, and you think that if you squint somehow, you know, sometimes it's in a handshake. Uh, anyway, everybody wants power. Everybody wants power to affect their circumstances. Jesus promises power, but it's not for the reason that you think. Jesus says, wait, this is the gift. My Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Power to do what? It's right there. You will be my witnesses. See, we think 
we've often thought that the kingdom of God and essentially that this concept of becoming a Christian, being part of the church of the family of God, means that now we will have personal power to change our circumstances and be healthier, be richer, be smarter, be more blessed. And while all those things are good, that is not why God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given and the power of the Holy Spirit is given for what? Read it. It's right there. Verse 8. You will receive power for what? And you will be my witnesses. See, so Jesus resurrects from the dead, has all the power, but he does not unleash it. He doesn't do any more miracles per se, at least not public ones. He doesn't proclaim sort of political power and say, ah, look at me now. Where are you guys who stabbed me on the, where are you now? He doesn't do that. In fact, he says, my part is done. I have ushered in the kingdom of God. And now the kingdom of God is on your hands. Because the Bible tells us that as soon as he said these words, verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Remember that? We talked about that. So Jesus ushers in the kingdom of God. He has paid the price to make it a reality. He has resurrected from the grave to, de to demonstrate that the kingdom of God has now power upon the earth. And then he hands over the keys to the kingdom. Wait on God. Trust in God. You will receive power. When you receive power, you must obey. You've got to go. If God says go, you've got to go. To do what? To be my witnesses. And how are we God's witnesses? If you remember the keys <laughs> to the kingdom, with Two simple phrases. You remember this? I want to repeat it. You remember this? This is how we spread the kingdom. First one, I'm sorry. That's right. Repentance. I'm sorry. It starts with us modeling that. And the second one is the most powerful phrase in English language. You ready for that? You know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. Do you know with those two phrases, you have the ability to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that is what we are witnesses of. See, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. What are we witnesses of? Of the fact that Jesus comes and he extends us the opportunity to receive forgiveness. That's what Jesus does. The Bible tells us that after this he was taken up before their very eyes. And they were looking up into heaven and an angel appeared and said, what are you doing? And they said, well, he went up. We don't know what to do now. And he said, don't, the, the angel says, why are you standing around here looking up at the sky? No, Jesus is going to come back the same way you saw him. You go do what you're supposed to do. What were they supposed to do? Verse 8, chapter 1, be my witnesses. Wait for the Holy Spirit, receive the power, and then be my witnesses. The Bible goes on, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to read quickly because we already did this last week. Uh, from, the hill count, uh, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk. When they arrived, they went upstairs where they were staying, and those present were there, the disciples, 11 of them. And they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers and said, Brothers, Scripture had to be fulfilled. We have to remember that all these things that are happening, Peter says, God had already told us they were going to happen. That's what prophecy does. It gives us confidence as things are happening, as things come to pass, that God said it would be so. So we can trust him for future things. And the Bible says here then that after Peter explained this, Peter says, look, 
Verse 21, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time we saw Jesus taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us in the resurrection. And we learned last week that essentially, as the kingdom is preparing to release itself upon the earth, the disciples say, we need leaders. Leadership is necessary in the kingdom. Peter says, there was 12 of us that Jesus had chosen, but you know what happened to number 12. It's pretty graphically explained there in these verses. Peter says, we're missing one. We're down one. It is necessary for us to choose somebody. The kingdom, as it's about to spread and expand, requires leadership. And the only two requirements to become a leader in the kingdom are right here. Look. Verse, verse 23, so they proposed two men, one was Joseph, one Matthias, and then they prayed to the Lord this prayer, verse 24, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over his apostolic ministry, which Judas left when he got what he deserved. Requirement number one for leadership is to be chosen of God. Chosen. That's an important word, to be chosen of God. See? The Bible tells us, and if you read the New Testament, Ephesians and Galatians, it all says the same thing. That it is God who in his great wisdom has brought us together. And he has given you gifts and you gifts and you gifts and you gifts and you abilities all for the glory of his kingdom. And to some he has given leadership. Not everyone. And not everyone who thinks he or she is a leader leader, is a leader. Amen? You can say amen to that. I know you know what I'm talking about. And what's important here is not somebody's specific ability, their charisma, their ability to be a smooth talker. No, what's important here, the quality here, is that they're chosen of God. And sometimes God chooses people like you. But the second requirement is just as important. The Bible says that after they prayed, They cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. And we talked about this last week during second service. Can you imagine being that guy? By this time, the the, the 12 disciples have now become apostles. There are many more disciples by this time, many others who followed the way of Jesus. But these men specifically had been with Jesus like in the most intimate moments, right? They had been with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had been with Jesus at every single major miracle. They had witnessed with their own eyes. And Jesus had appeared to them and and showed them his hands and his feet. So by this time, these men had been elevated. And so there were many others who were there, Mary and and, and the mother of Jesus and brothers and, and many others. The Bible tells us about 120 in number. And yet the apostles said, no, no, we need one more leader. One must also become a witness with us to the resurrection. So the, the quality here is chosen of God, but the second one is just as important. Your obedience to God's calling. You remember Jesus said it in the keys. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you've got to go. You've got to be my witnesses. So when the lot fell to Matthias, he could have said no. I mean, he could have. He chose to say yes. 
And the same is true for you and me. Oftentimes, God has been knocking at the door of your heart and asking you to step up and step into leadership. But you and I sometimes shrink back from that call. And we think, oh, I'm not good enough, or I don't deserve this, or I don't think I can do it. Does God really want me? The only two requirements are to be called of God and to accept that call. Do you notice that essentially they don't talk about Matthias' characteristics here? They picked them. They had one or the other. They didn't say, well, let's have him preach first and we'll see who, who moves us better. Let's have him sing a solo and see who has a better voice. They don't, they don't do that. Uh, who has the better degree or who makes the more money? It's not really like that. You notice a prayer there. It says, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one you have chosen. And it wasn't that uh, Joseph Barsab- called Barsabbas didn't have a role in God's kingdom. It wasn't that Joseph was unimportant to God. It was that some are chosen for specific roles. And, and in leadership, that always has to be the case. So the kingdom needs leaders. The Bible tells us that after that, follow along with me, please. We're in chapter 2. The Bible tells us that after that, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, verse 2, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Bible tells us that they gathered together. We, we, we read earlier that there was about 120 in number. The Bible tells us that they gathered together in one place and with one mindset to pray for that gift that Jesus said God had promised. And when the group of people gathered together in one focus, we bring the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to reveal his power. It's one of the reasons that we encourage you to be in the habit of coming together to the house of worship. Because this is an opportunity that you do not have anywhere else. Yes, you must have a personal relationship with God and know Jesus Christ for yourself. But it's hard to pray in unity with just one person. There is a heavenly ordained power that comes when our group praise together. It's a biblical mandate. And look what happens when they begin to pray together. Imagine if the 12 disciples had said, by this time they're 12, and they said, you, you guys go do your thing. We are holier than you, so we're going to go pray in the upper room while you guys just, you know, do whatever you want to do. That's not what happens. And Pentecost, as we know, would not have happened unless they had come together and and done exactly what they did here. The Bible says that they came together and then began to pray. And the Holy Spirit showed up and shook the place with the violent wind. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they began to speak in different tongues. And the Bible tells us right there what was the result of that. We read there in verse 5 that in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation were there. And they heard the sound. They came together in bewilderment. And they said, are not all these men Galileans? How is it that each of us hears in his own native tongue, all these different tongues, Mesopotamia, Judea, Pontus, and Asia, that said, how is it that we can hear the wonders of God in our own language? The, 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 the blessing of the Holy Spirit was to do exactly what Jesus described, so that they would be witnesses. And they were able to witness, testify, say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you, in a language that the people would understand. That's important. 
The Bible tells us that in that moment, the crowd got together and, 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 and Peter stands up. You can read this, his whole long discourse there. And Peter begins to teach and talk about Jesus Christ. And at the very end, <clears throat> the Bible tells us there in chapter 2, verse 37, when the people heard all that, Je- that Peter was saying about Jesus, they were cut to the heart and they said, oh no, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You see? The Holy Spirit comes. This power is unleashed for them to do. To do what? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I'm sorry and I forgive you. That's what they were supposed to be witnesses of. And the Bible tells us, you've heard this before, that Peter speaks to them and he says, today you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even those that were just listening just for the first time, being cut to the heart about the truth of Jesus, are promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 says, the promise is for you and for your children, for all whom the Lord will call. And the Bible says in verse 41, that those who accepted that, they were about 3,000 in number in that day. You remember that, you've heard that story. It's, 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 a, it's a miraculous power of God. God wants to expand his kingdom. Okay, I'm going to break this down for you. God wants to expand the kingdom of God. It's not a political power. It's not a physical power. It is the power of grace extended by the simple phrases, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Except that he has entrusted the expansion of the kingdom to us. Those of us who would be leaders, but everyone else who would be a disciple, including new converts. Everyone who receives the gift of forgiveness is then empowered to give the gift of forgiveness. So the expansion of the kingdom is completely dependent upon us. And I want to make this very clear. It is not dependent solely on the leaders. It is dependent on all of us. The Bible says that when they prayed together, Holy Spirit came down on everyone. Peter rises up and he says, this is what the Bible prophesied. That God would pour out his spirit on old men and young men, men and women. That God would give visions and dreams. And with this power to see the goodness and grace of God, we would extend his kingdom through the grace of forgiveness. That's why we exist. We come together to praise and to worship Saturday mornings like we're doing. To honor God, to give glory to God, to pray in unison. But this is not the reason why we exist. We exist to take this out, to bless, to expand the kingdom. We do it through ministries. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have a ministry fair here at the church where you will see how you and I, we band together to take this witness into different places in our community. Yes, sometimes right here in our very own group of people, but also beyond here. And, and, and those ministries need leaders because the Bible says the kingdom needs leaders, but not just leaders. The kingdom needs all of us. The expansion of the kingdom depends on us. Let's not let God down.